Poetry night rings through. But, hey, uh, hey, everybody! Welcome hey, back! Hey, hey, hey. Woo! Um, without any further ado, you guys, I just want to say you're all awesome. Our uh, this this room full of people is 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 really something. Uh, I urge you, if you're sitting toward the back, uh, if you can, I would move forward. Uh, uh, if it if it seems like something you're willing to do. Uh, get closer, you guys. Get a little closer. Don't be shy. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I, I always recommend to people to you know sit wherever they feel most comfortable. But I also like the idea of people truly being engaged with what's happening in front of them. All right, that is what I am saying, people. Um. Here's the deal, you guys. Um, I had specifically asked. All right, we got everyone. All right. I had specifically asked my friend Stephen if he would come up and be the main act for Kitchen Session last night, of uh, which I, I knew would go over very well, and it did. Uh, and uh, and then and and lined it up so that he would be the the, the feature this evening for you guys. Um, he is uh, originally, I've known him since 2003 in the Bay Area. He is from Oakland originally, born in Oakland. Hey. He is from Portland, Oregon, uh, and is, is, uh, is doing a lot with spoken word and poetry, workshops, mentoring folks, uh, and he works at Everyday Music in Portland. Uh, he, is, uh, he does music every day. Uh, he is uh, he is a very good friend of mine. His poetry will speak for itself. His spoken word will speak for itself. Um, and uh, please, I implore you to buy his chat book from him later on this evening, and uh, uh, and, and engage with him and chat with him. Um, I love you. You'll love him. Give it up for Stephen Mead. Hello, Bobby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, hey guys. Hey. Um, some familiar faces, which is nice. Some new faces. That's also cute. Um, can you hear me? Hear me? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, huh? Yeah. Okay. And I'm here, and you guys can hear me. And then if I, like, go away from the mic, am I still... Okay. We have a serious mic here. I don't... I, I just don't know. Um, all right. I'm going to start my set. And then maybe talk during it as well. Um, it, is it strange 
to say that the first time I put on a condom was not the first time I had sex. A 12-year-old hand fumbling through dad's medicine cabinet discovered the lifestyle and freed it from the box. And this was not the first time I'd experienced the condom. Well before eighth grade brought up abstinence and ninth grade brought up bananas, a seven-year-old swooshed through a bowl so brightly colored they must have been gums. And the nearby grown-ups laughed, you don't want one of those in your mouth, kiddo. So precocious. I terrorized my room that afternoon of discovery with my flappy blue phallus, swooping to the floor to retrieve the apparatus and test it some more. It was loose. I was, too. I'd failed to grasp the instructions on the box mentioned a fully erect wearer and disregarding excitedly torn to the wrapper and suited up. Another year taught the error of my ways, which I realize is a long time, but it's a sort of a structural thing here. Because two more brought along free condom giveaways from the teen safety program. Condoms were so fascinating, sort of, though not really at all, the male equivalent of a tampon, which I had seen a few times in both pre- and post-production. Gooey remainder stuck to a duet of leaves in the gutter. I marveled at the blood for a while, lost in thoughts about the world's strangest band-aid. My friends and I, already avid collectors, opened up secret condom stashes in our pog boxes and our card binders. This was after all the mid-90s. And every once in a while, when the hoard would grow too large, I'd crack open a couple and practice. You know? Note, masturbation, in no way aided by use of a condom. But it is strange to say that when I finally had sex, I was more practiced with the condom than I was with the human body itself. That first time, the condom unwrapped so easily, but everything fits so awkwardly. I forgot how to use arms, legs, hips, lips, really everything, except for the condom, which was right there. It's light blue, this embarrassing nod to how I felt in this supposed moment of becoming a man, which is to say, baby boy, to see me on that day putting into practice what I'd only seen done with fruit. I, I, I wish it wasn't so. My most intimate moment equals my most hilarious, you know, my most pained act fitted in an act I was so comfortable in losing a part of myself when I was just about to show off how talented I was at protecting me. Know this, I cannot always wrap things up so easily. And oftentimes there are issues. An already open package or uh, too much lube or that air bubble that gets trapped between the shaft and the head, if you will, spilt milk. Uh, that's, that's a pre-cum joke, you guys. It's, it's worked. Okay. Uh, but, but look, it takes, it takes guts to undress yourself. And it takes whimsy to cover just a bit of that back up. And I'd like to use both of those bits more. And I'm not actually talking about my penis or my condoms. It's, it's this writing, which always feels so awkward, exposing myself to you and asking you to take me as I am and have always been when I am always trying to keep from bursting. It's not that I don't want to be raw. I just need to feel safe. What a strange thing to say. Hey, okay. So, uh, hey, I, I was trying to think. I started, I started my set last night with a poem about boners and I figured I'd just keep going. Um, 
I've done I've done whole shows and sets before that are just basically like 15 minute soliloquies to my own genitals, you know, more or less. I'm not going to do that now, because um, you know, like one's one's enough for a night. But I figure, like, the more sort of visually uh, the poems disrobe, the more like intimate we are at the start, then like the further I can go. Uh, towards the middle or the end or whatever of so that's like that's the prep to take you into the stars. Uh, I did this poem last night, but I love it so much that I'm going to do it again. So uh, for any of you who were at uh, the house show last night, the kitchen sessions, uh, you know, I hope that you don't mind hearing this a second time. And for everybody else. Uh, this is um, one of my more recent pieces. I really love it, um, and I'm, I'm very excited to share it again. Uh, and here we go. It's, this is the Tang Nebula. I'm going into space, motherfuckers. Moon colonies be damned. I have been drinking the preferred beverage of astronauts since age five and loving it. Tang, orange-flavored powder drink of space champions. What does Jordan drink after slamming down the most amazing zero-gravity dunk ever space-jammed? Tang, what does David Bowie's captain survive off of as he crash-lands into Earth, his spaceship knowing the way to go? Tang, what does Picard order to the bridge of the Enterprise, boldly going where no man has gone before? Tea. Earl Grey. Hot. Star Trek nerds know that. And you can't fool anybody when they're on the same level. Uh, this is the final frontier, and I intend to make it a surprisingly salty one. I am going balls deep into space, the sort of fearless teabagging that has been used to erect flags on the surfaces of everything from the moon to various college frat house dorm rooms. And I'm not just saying that because I've been drinking Tang since like four in the morning or something. I'm talking about all of the preparation that I have been doing for years to be ready for space, such as uh, wearing moon shoes that my friend found in a free box. This is real. She totally found these amazing, and like, you get on them and they're bouncing. Anyway, uh, you know, that way I could practice uh, essentially moonwalking or, you know, maybe like teabagging and moon gravity or whatever, or attempting to pee into hoses that I tucked into my jeans from the bottom cuff, because I assume that astronauts probably have to do something similar to that or not sleeping for days on end, because I believe astronauts probably have to be awake the entire time they are on the shuttle and also sometimes... I suffer from insomnia. Or uh, eating as much freeze-dried space ice cream as possible because in space, they have fucking space ice cream. And you just have to deal with that. It's like Forrest Gump shit up there, for reals. Like that scene where he got to eat all the ice cream he wanted because he'd been shot in the buttocks and then Lieutenant Dan was in the bed next to him with no legs, but he made that bet where Forrest was a shrimpo captain and Lieutenant Dan would become an astronaut. And then Forrest did become a shrimpo captain and Lieutenant Dan got magic legs and showed up in Apollo 13. I mean, that's got it all figured out. And I'm not saying that I'm going to chop off my legs so I can get magic titanium space legs, but I am building a sort of totally awesome fireproof spacesuit with built-in waste recycler tube. And I'm going to use that recycler to turn my pee into tang as I don't sleep for days on end floating upside down while eating as much freeze-dried space ice cream as possible. And it's going to be the most badass thing I ever do because why should space only be for the bored and the rich? I know the virgin space is about to start chartering shuttles in orbit for a sweet quarter million, but isn't the whole notion of space for all of us to dream ourselves into Stretch out amidst, explore, and then clog up and ruin. Look, I realize that people with money are the best at ruining shit. <laughs>
But I can do that too. And I'm going to start with space. Because it may be a short walk to the grocery store, but it's a giant effort to get off the couch when i got to do it without my moon shoes and this earth gravity so soul-crushing that someone wrote it into law, always rooting me here, bringing me down so far from the moon and the stars and the sky. When you pour Tang Mix into the water glass, it clouds up like a galaxy being born. And we are still barely even able to conceive of how our universe created itself like it was just stirred up from the nothing like everything was bright bright black and life opened up its brain and saw all this space and said I am going there motherfucker so that's uh, that's new work and then I don't really do I, I've retired a lot of poems I've been doing like Mike, Mike said um I've been reading poems at slams and open mics. I've been doing doing stuff in various levels, uh, poetry-wise, since I was 14, um, and with the adult poetry scene since I was 17. I'm uh, about to be 29 in, like, two, I don't know, two months, something like that. So it's like, I'm getting, I'm getting years in, and I've retired a lot of my old work because it's just <laughs> awful. It's just awful. There's like there's like two and a half years of archives of writing that sometimes I'll look at and it's like about goat nipples and like weird dunes and like a lot of girls that didn't like me and a lot of cars that were kind of weird to be in. It's just like really <laughs> embarrassing, sheer, but I wrote it all. And I read it out loud is the worst part. <laughs> so that's like buried in the archives. But... Uh, I do have older poems that sometimes are good, and I want to share one of those uh, tonight. I've actually shared a couple of those tonight. So this one is dated uh, at the beginning, which really gives away how old it is, and it's just getting older. But um, I I used to work at um, Virgin Megastore in San Francisco. Uh, It was like the first record store that I worked at, and... uh, closed down, and that's why I don't work there anymore, among other reasons. Um, but So this is a poem from that time frame, but it's, I feel like it's applicable through life still, despite this clear date that I'm going to intro with. So, uh, Friday, January 30th, 2009. It's the day. Kat Von D is signing copies of her book, High Voltage Tattoo, at the Virgin Megastore. 400 suicide boys and girls flank the entrance like a living mural. This new American fame involves a real beautiful base coat, your body on television, something every man, woman, and child wants, presumably, to have sex with. Your body can then be painted any way you'd like, and so naturally, the discussion behind the counter is one of tattoos. Who has them? Where are they? Why that? Why there? Asked if I have any tattoos. I don't. I say, I've got three, actually. One is of the blob devouring major cities across the U.S., like New York and San Francisco and Presumably anywhere there was a virgin megastore. Except all of the cities have been eaten, and now the blob is only visible from outer space. And then I've got a ninja tattooed, well, somewhere. But he's a fucking awesome ninja, and nobody ever sees him. And no one wants to hear about my last tattoo when I say that. I've been told you should focus on the image being on your skin at least a year before getting it applied. And sure, I totally 
thought about something that I wanted about the same time that I thought about breakfast cereal, morning cartoons, remotes, mind control, aliens, robots, robotic aliens, robotic alien pirates, robotic alien pirates versus hypnotic snailian pilots. That song, Pilot by Pearl Jam, Jam Jelly. I think about toast, whether or not I want it. It's a lot easier to go with toast than it is to lease out a part of your body for the foreseeable future. But the tattoo I am planning is pretty complex. It starts with this carp, right? And he's swimming on my forearm, and in his mouth is a glowing ball of light. A wizened old man looks down from this bank on my bicep, and he can see the future in the ball of light. He carves it freehand into this cherry tree, which is growing up my arm and over onto my shoulder, where wind is blowing the cherry blossoms into the tail of this phoenix, soaring across my back and over onto one side of my chest, where he's fighting one head of a two-headed dragon, which occupies most of my midsection. The dragon's other head is locked into combat with this savage tiger, which is leaping up from this jungle depicted on my outer thigh. And beneath the jungle, naturally, is hell. Uh, seen here as a frozen wasteland because the impossible has happened and I have committed to this tattoo and this might be a really important metaphor for my life, right? Except that I can't read life stories into the pictograms of skin, not that I don't relish the challenge like a great cipher. I wouldn't use it to write, but it thoroughly fascinates me. So why, Kat Von D, when all of your fans come into the place I work to meet you, do I suddenly feel ousted from some club I don't remember joining my co-workers all more hip than I will ever hope to be exchange the deep significance of their skin and I stand there blank and empty and unimportant maybe I am not famous because I know I'm not famous this is what bothers me so much you know that my base coat never set in a pleasing enough way for people to just read art into me except you know I've studied modern art enough to know that a blank canvas isn't devoid of meaning any more than a bad collage. And this might be a really important metaphor for my life, right? A blank page, an uncluttered space, this constant fresh start. So I I spent some time uh, over the last couple years like putting manuscripts together uh, for um, to sit in <laughs> drawers uh, and not be published. Uh, and one of the ones that I put together uh, was for this book called Fountain. I was talking about it last night. The basic idea was that like, I took a bunch of uh, sodas out there and used the sodas as the titles for pieces and kind of like just wrote from that. Uh, and one of the sodas that uh, I used is the title of this next piece, uh, and there's a soda brand out there called Mud, and it's like a chocolate fizz soda. It's very hard to find. Um, so this is Mud, uh, and it's, uh, yeah. For a while, none of the insects in the neighborhood were safe. Matt and Jason and I were terrors with aerosol spray cans, household chemical mixtures, magnifying glasses, drowning flies, just so we could cover them in piles of salt and watch them spaz back to life. This unwarranted cruelty is where I felt most like a boy, like other kids my age. I was not good at taking a beating because I cried easily, and I was terrible at sports, but in killing defenseless things without mercy... I was unparalleled. I found later in life that my strongest bonds with men came not from denying transgressions, but in sharing them, like when Aaron and I spanked it to his dad's porn mags, or helping to nick spray paint from the local CVS, or just, you know, being more open about the lecherous sides of my internet usage. There 
is no path for a man to walk that does not take him near hell. The temperature furnace of manhood is set to awful, to melt kindness from the bones. My dad only felt like my father when he lost his cool, when the veins in his biceps flared their potential for harm, only that he did not use them is where I learned control. Only when the dirt itself fought back were the insects safe. So I, uh, I just have a couple more. I'm good on time. Good. Uh, so that's, that's like the way to transition real quick in a, a serious poem moment. I don't write, I mean, I do write a lot of serious poems, but I don't read them uh, publicly because that shit's hard. Uh, painful. Um, how, you guys You guys are fine. You're a strong crowd, uh, which is good. Um, there was a poem last night that got read uh, at the kitchen sessions that I really liked, which was um, Dwayne from Everett yeah. read this piece uh, um, about this video that like brought to mind his uh, memory of his dad. Um, and I thought, like, I don't know what it is about dad poems. Um, but I, I, you know, I love my dad. He's He's a really amazing man. Um, but I also feel like uh, I don't know him very well. Um, and I feel like I kind of knew him for a while and when I was a kid. And then I grew up and, and I like have no clue. Um, and it's, it's different. Like My relationship with my mom, I, I live between houses. And so I spend a lot of time at my mom's house and a little bit of time at my dad's. And by the time I was a teenager, um, like 16 or 17, I was, I was almost all the time at my mom's house. And I lived with my mom as I became older, and I have a much better understanding of my relationship with her as an adult. So I don't write about my mom as much, probably for the benefit of both me and my mom. Um, but I write a lot of poems uh, exploring this question of who my dad was. And um, this is one of the ones that I, I share. Um, so this is uh, called with a million eyes you see into everything. And it's, it's for my dad. And that's In going to the zoo with my father, I was often struck by the arrogance of the peacock, strutting through the ground unrestrained as if to say, do you understand that I could be anywhere I want, and I simply choose to spend my days here. I half did not know where, in fact, the peacock was actually from. What I could tell was that in the African savanna exhibit, sure enough, there was the peacock, crossing past the rhinos, a monarch, out for a day amongst the peasantry. Near the reclining tigers, the peacock, defiant like a proud general, quelling enemy troops. Near the grizzly bears, the peacock, Emperor, warrior, king, always wild and free. In the petting zoo, the peacock would raise its plume, tail feathers of a thousand eyes burning into the dark childhood of your soul. There again, perched upon the hippopotamus like a throne, I reign over you now and forever. Call me crazy. But after leaving the zoo, I half expected a peacock waiting for us at home. I... I know, I know. But my, my sister did own a single feather, a quill she kept in this pencil drawer on the top of her desk, its single blue eye 
always watching, I had opened the bedroom door cautiously, prepared to avert myself from the death stare of the basilisk bird, but it was never there. Just the feather next to a locked diary, the feather with that one eye, deep blue spot, watching as the outside wilderness of the home seemed to descend upon its order more with each passing day, hours brought into eerie stillness, some lurking predator preparing to swoop down and undo us all, anger, guilt, depression, remorse, petulance, strain. I wanted the ferocious confidence of the peacock, but I could only ever leave. My footsteps and escape sounding out. Do you understand that I could be anywhere I want and I simply chose to spend my days here? Do not call me crazy. When I visited my dad in the psych ward, all of the doctors wore long coats with hundreds of eyes. Each one bored down into my soul, into the dark parts where I blamed myself for everything, for for him, my father, for having to visit him there. My father was a proud man, a doctor himself. He should have been ruling still, always wild and free. Instead, I saw him there, small, like a quelled peasant, his soft eyes wandering, trapped like a creature in a zoo. I was struck. Averting my own, I could not let go of those thoughts, the peacocks all around me. I reigned over you now and forever. It was my own arrogance. I think I did not belong. Um, thank you guys. Uh, thank you guys once again. I'm going to grab some of my of the year, obviously, um, we're pretty close in to 2014, but I, I really haven't done a lot of uh, readings in a while, and it feels really nice to come up and, and hear poems shared and share poems. Uh, I get kind of like weirdly nervous now, which I, I, I sometimes have in the past, but like especially, I don't know, like the more stuff I have, meaning the less stuff I get to do and the more time I spend explaining things. Um, but it's really a pleasure and a treat to come and share poems with you guys. Uh, so I brought this out. I have this book. Uh, it's got lovely fake wood panel on it. Um, I'm selling a few copies that I have left before I have to make new print runs and start putting out more chat books um, and getting stuff together again for touring in the future. Um, but it is, I, I'm asking $6 for it. Uh, I typically sell it for like 10 now because uh, times is hard and the going rates is tough and poets got to not just eat ramen, you know? want to put some eggs in that. Uh, <laughs> want to afford food. So um, I, it's $6. If you have a little bit more, I won't turn it away because I'm weird like that. Um, but uh, yeah, if you, have, if you have six, that's great. And if you want to buy it, that's wonderful. And if you don't and you just want to talk to me, that's awesome too. And again, thank you so much uh, for coming up. I'm going to read a poem that's in this book because uh, I didn't do that last night. And I feel like it's very important when you talk about your books to actually read from them, uh, except for when I just break those rules for myself. 
So tonight I'm going to uh, read a poem. And I also, I don't, you know, I, li- I, I like reading those, those darker poems, but I don't like ending on those darker poems because it's darkness. Uh, Got to end on a, you know. So this is my last poem for the night, and thank you guys so much for having me. Um, and this is, uh, this is uh, in, it's a persona piece, and I'm, so, and I, I try to do a consistent accent, but I can't promise that I will pull it off. My sweet peach, it have been a long time now. I've been a chasing after you. Back before it were even a me and my brother, I saw you high up in that tower, and I knew even then I would cross an entire galaxy for you. Now. I know a lot of times you would have just run off with some giant lizard or a gorilla, and they ask you, what have I got that I ain't got? Like over eight castles? I've seen those. Not impressed. A country? I don't think a just a tie is really something you wear if you run one of those. Look, I got my own racetracks, okay? I got a tennis court, a baseball league, a soccer team, and a do I ever know how to a party. Let me tell you about the Mario Party, princess. Okay, so at first it looks like it starts off kind of a small, but before you can say Goomba, out comes the mushrooms, and I start breaking up with the bricks. And the next thing you know, I'm dropping into the background, and you're thinking maybe Mario, you know, being a, such a great host, maybe start to uh, forget about you. But it's all part of a secret plan, because next thing, I'm whistling, and you and me is a warping into a new world. Bedroom 2-1, where I give you this uh, flower I picked. The princess, my hands, they are burning up. It feels like they could shoot fire. Let me hold you. I'm going to take you under the sheets. There's a pipe around here somewhere. You've got to remember, a plumber's job is to get down into the pipes. And let me tell you, princess, your pipes got a leak. Here. <laughs> let me just get in here. <laughs> Boy, it's like a tiny big world in here. <laughs> this I cannot do. Still, I like to pace myself. You know, hit all of the boxes. Coin box, coin box, item box, power up, coin box, pay block. I be hitting the coin boxes you didn't even know you had. And when I start hitting that multi-coin box, oh boy, a one, a two, a three, a four, a five, a six, seven, eight, eight, eight. Woo! Let me put on another hat. I feel like running. Sometimes if I move fast enough, it feels like I can't fly. I don't like that feeling. And let me tell you, princess, I've got a tanuki suit. And I know you may be unfamiliar with Japan, but tanuki is this like a mystical raccoon of things that's famous for having really big balls. And you are looking at the sect that went toe-to-toe with King Koopa, and that's just one suit. I've also got a bee suit so I can pollinate your precious flower. I've got a ghost suit for when you want to work in the dark. I've got a frog suit, you know, in case you want to hit it the froggy style. I got a spring suit, you know, if you have some roommates that you want to make feel kind of jealous. I've got a lab coat and stuff. I've got a lot of suits, is all I'm saying. You know, just tons of suits. Plus, I got a, even a penguin suit, because, you know, Stay classy. 
So I'm a real clean guy too, you know. It's not just about fixing those pipes. You want them to a sparkle at the end, like a star. Like this whole adventure have always been worth it. Like every time I reach the end of a castle, it won enough. On to the next one and all. Across the world, slide over the sunshine beyond the galaxy. There's more out there for you, my sweetest peach. I stay super. Thank you, Bill. Thank you so much. Stephen Meads, ladies and gentlemen. Stephen Meads. Um, real quick. This is how we call you to, to prayer here at the Word Church.